Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ed Carbajal. Weekly, we are brought to you by AllAccessMMA.com. Check out AllAccessMMA.com for a video podcast, MMA stories, and MMA news. This week, we have the absolute pleasure of welcoming back the voice of combat sports in our mind and uh, one of the hardest working men in the world of combat sports, Sean Wheelock. Sean, how you doing, my man? Hey, Matthew. Hey, Ed. Thank you guys for having me on. I always appreciate it. You guys are always incredibly supportive, and it's always my pleasure to be on the show. You've been a busy man, obviously, and and it looks like you're going to be busy. Um, never mind your work with the commission, but uh, you just you were just on the mic with uh, Sean Porter uh, doing Game Bread Boxing Four, and then in, as uh, soon enough, you'll be on probably one of the biggest. Uh, like even you, me and Matt were talking about it last week. Probably the biggest BKFC card. That, that that they've held uh, since the inception of, of BKFC. Um, can you just talk about like this past weekend? And and it's weird that they did game bread boxing and then Jorge Masvidal's fighting on Saturday at the UFC event. Um, right. Just the timing of everything seems to be like like a, a a slow burn to to something big for all the stuff you're involved in. Yeah, no, I mean I, I'm thrilled, and you know I I've just come off of eight straight weeks. And in that straight weeks includes Combat FC on UFC Fight Pass. And what I pride myself on, I mean, I really pride myself on this, and hopefully I have the reputation amongst fighters with this and fight fans, is that if you hear me on a show, that's the most important show in the world to me. Mm. I don't have a sliding scale. Every fight that I do, whether it's Roy Jones Jr. versus Anthony Pettis or it's prelim one on combat FC on UFC fight pass. That's the most important fight. The two most important fighters in the world to me, I give every fight the same preparation. I do my fighter meetings, which run about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and that's up to the fighter, not up to me, how long they want to go 15 to 20 minutes. Some people are just naturally more talkative than others. I do that with everybody. I am not the commentator who gets a package of research notes on the few shows that I've worked on where they give me research notes I try to be very Midwest gracious and say, th say thank you very much. And I don't read the research notes. I like to talk to fighters. That's why I love to talk to fighters, actually. That's why I'm in this game. So it's awesome when I get to commentate people who are heroes of my, mine, like Jacare Souza and Roy Jones Jr. But it's awesome when I get to commentate a 19-year-old kid who's making his pro MMA debut or a 22-year-old who's making her pro uh, BKFC debut. That's the thrill for me, just being in this game. And I, I just like working. I, I've often told people, and uh, Dave Feldman knows this, so it doesn't help me for contract negotiations. My agent will get mad. But if you gave me the same amount of money and said, Sean, you can do 10 shows or 50 year, fifty shows in a year, I'm going to take the 50 shows, man. Um, that's just what I love doing. But it's been exceptionally cool as well. I love the eight weeks in a row. That's been really fun. I get two weeks at home, and then we fire back up for BKFC. And we have Florida, then we have Leeds, and then we have Denver. So that's three BKFCs in eight days. And coming off of this Game Bread show with Roy Jones Jr. versus mm -hmm. Anthony Pettis, um, arguably I, outside of the UFC, including the world of pro boxing, that Game Bread show and the BKFC show in Denver, BKFC 41, might just turn out to be the two biggest combat sports shows of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the Game Bread was, I mean, the, the 
when you saw the fight card announced a couple months ago, everybody kind of stepped back and went, whoa, like this is, this is pretty wild. Um, you kind of don't think it's all going to go together. Um, but it seemed to come together pretty smoothly as far as from a fight fans perspective, all the fights ended up being what they were. Um, they ended up being all entertaining. Uh, there wasn't, and nobody got hurt and kind of, you know, for some older fighters, you never know when you're going to get somebody kind of limping away with the, a knee or, or an ankle or something. Every, all everybody fought really to their capabilities for the age they're at. And and I mean Vitor and, and Jacare, uh Vitor obviously started that fight off really well. And then Jacare kind of turned the tables about two thirds of the way through the fight and 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 kind of evened it out. Really surprised me. He looked I mean he looked huge for, for Jacare mm. Souza. Oh, yeah. Um uh but my question uh Roy Jones Jr. obviously he's 54 years old. Was that your first I know you I believe you worked the Tyson when he did, what, did you work the event with him and Tyson? I, and no, I, I I did everything to get on that show, and I couldn't get it. That's kind of the irony of my career. Is that when I really, really want to get on his show, they're like, "Who is this guy?" No, we have mm. some baseball commentator we want, but <laughs> in fairness, Marinello is definitely not a baseball commentator. He's a great fight commentator. He did that show, but I commentated Roy Jones Jr. It's it's a it's a forgotten show. It was is called it the, is it the Island. Oh, it was okay. your fight. It was a Canadian. It was a Canadian social media company, and they reached out to me. And this was right after I left Bellator, so this would have been March. It was right after my birthday. My birthday is March 18th, so I remember being right after my birthday. So around March 18th or March 20th of 2016, Roy Jones Jr. fought a then seven and one pro MMA fighter out of Minnesota named Byron Phillips. And weirdly, they marketed the fight. These your fight people who were very nice. They were just maybe a little naive to the fight business is Roy Jones Jr. versus a fan. Well, obviously anybody who mm. understands professional fighting with commissions knows that a commission is not going to let a fan fight any pro fighter, let alone one of the greatest boxers of all time. Turned out to be the seven and one uh, pretty talented MMA fighter named Byron Phillips, who I believe had fought in LFA and Roy Jones Jr. knocked him out in the second round. That was a crazy card. It might be on YouTube. I commentated with JR, Jim Ross, and Quentin Rampage Jackson. Also on that card, we had Maverick Harvey versus Shannon the Cannon Rich in MMA. Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle, which I kind of sat back and let Jim Ross commentate that. I didn't have a lot to say as much as I love pro wrestling. And there was a submission grappling with Chael Sonnen and Michael Bisping. It was a fun card. It wasn't well attended. I don't think it was that highly viewed. So, But at least I thought, man, I got to commentate Roy Jones Jr. thinking, will I ever get to again? Because that was 2016. I believe Roy was 48 years old on that mm -hmm. fight. And I thought, hey, it was an interesting show. He knocked out an MMA guy who was in his pro boxing debut of Iron Phillips. So I got to commentate Roy. I then went on to commentate the Roy Jones Jr. boxing series on UFC Fight Pass. So I actually got to build in a very surrealistic fashion what I consider a legitimate friendship with Roy. Mm. And it was Roy who was pushing me hard, saying, Sean's my guy. I want him to commentate on my fight against Mike Tyson. I just couldn't get a return phone call. Now, I will mm. tell you, that's not Ryan Cavanaugh. That's not the current Triller people. That was a, It was Triller, but it wasn't really Triller. It was, it was a lot of people who were there and never to be seen nor heard from again. But mm -hmm. I didn't do Roy versus Mike. I wanted it. I got hired by Triller with their new regime, which includes the great Ryan Kavanaugh on the uh, Ben Askren versus Jake Paul card. I was one of many commentators on that. 
But I thought, well, maybe it'll come up again with Roy. Maybe it won't. And Dean Tool, who's Jorge Masvidal's business partner, Dean's a really good friend of mine. I've commentated for Dean since 2016. Dean has had island fights, the game bread bare knuckle MMA, um, has done a lot of shows. He partnered. He did a, he did icon with Roy Jones Jr. We did some back-to-back shows in Mexico. So Dean was who reached out to me, told me the card before it went public. I'm like, man. And I know Dean pretty well. And I thought if someone can pull this off, Dean Tool can pull this off. And Dean Tool definitely pulled it off. Uh, I got a question for you because you just mentioned um, when you called the card uh, with Jim Ross for the pro wrestling thing and, and you, you let him do yeah. you let him do is, is, for you. Like, is that almost like did, is that something you would would you want to call pro wrestling or did you, did you feel like you have to watch to kind of learn how to call that type of uh, uh, sport? Because it seems like I mean, every all, all the I mean, it's I, I don't, I'm not not to sound disparaging, but all the fighting you commentate on is real. And then you have, yeah. yeah. So does that make it weird for you? Yeah. And that's what, you know, and that's what I thought about. And, and so I basically had kind of two on air experiences with pro wrestling. Mm. Um, when I was with Bellator, um, we were doing a cross promote. It was when Bellator had just moved to spike. So I believe this was 2013, which would have been my fourth year of Bellator, but Bellator was on ESPN Deportes, then Fox sports net, then MTV two. And finally on spike, we were on spike. Um, TNA wrestling was on spike and as a cross promote. We were fighting in Tampa. They did their shows, TNA wrestling out of Orlando. So I believe it was two nights before we had a Bellator. I was already there doing my fighter meetings and on site. And they had me drive over to Orlando. I sat in with uh, uh, Dave Tanay and Taz and there was one match, but I didn't really commentate it. They, they, uh, they kind of, I tried to sound like a smart, right. A, a smart mark of a, a show that I was a fan, that I wasn't just some interloper coming in that I was actually a pro wrestling fan, especially as a kid, but I didn't really commentate that match. It was more, we were doing a cross promote and they were mentioning me and they let me say some things, but I didn't really commentate that. Mm. That was a lot of fun. That was a super cool experience. And then the Rey Mysterio Kurt Angle, uh, which was a full on work. It was a pro wrestling match on what was otherwise legitimate fights, all shoots, including Roy Jones Jr. versus the quote unquote fan Byron Phillips. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I don't really know what to say here. And uh, my old broadcast partner at M1 and Bellator and Affliction, Jimmy Smith, I thought did a great job on WWE. I really, I don't talk to Jimmy anymore, so I don't know what happened on there. I thought Jimmy was great on WWE. Yeah. Mauro Ranallo, when he went to WWE, I thought he did a great job. What I would struggle with is, you know, it's it's not 1982 anymore. They've <laughs> pulled back the kayfabe curtain. We understand what pro wrestling is, and I would never use the word fake on that. I like works. They're, they're worked fights. Yeah, they're yeah. predetermined outcomes. There's a high level of skill, of risk, of athleticism, even of danger and jeopardy and peril, but they're works. And I want people, when they hear me commentating, whether it's bare knuckle or letway or submission grappling – to know that I'm giving you my honest assessment of what I see. And I feel like, and I don't want to sound too full of myself or anything or self-righteous, but I feel like if I were commentating pro wrestling, as much fun as I would have of that and how much I love pro wrestling as a kid, um, and I'll talk more about my love of pro wrestling on this interview, I, I feel like it would blur the line for fans. Like, I, I only know one way how to call fights, and, and that's to call it straight. You know, I, I don't play favorites. 
I try not to make funny noises. I might try to say something very dry, which I think might be dry humor. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you guys know my style. Yeah. One, I don't know if that would work on pro wrestling. But two, if I'm doing that, then how do you trust me to call BKFC mm. if I'm playing the same character on pro wrestling? So it's intriguing to me. I'm really good friends with Justin Roberts, who's the ring announcer for AEW. And I'm so happy for Justin. He just got the ring announcer gig on PFL. We actually spoke yesterday. Oh, nice. Uh, we had a very similar conversation to this, which is it would be tough. Jimmy Smith was able to do it brilliantly. Marinello was able to do it brilliantly. I just don't think I could do mm. that. I really think that that would be tough for me. I, I would just love, uh, love to go and hang out. AEW, twice they've been to Kansas City. And the last two times, including last month, the last two times they were in Kansas City where I live, I was on the road doing a BKFC. I would just love to go hang out, get the backstage experience, meet yeah. the producers. But it really just be a fan. And I think, uh, especially for anybody in MMA over the age of 35, whether you're a fighter or a commentator, just in the fight industry, you are probably a really big pro wrestling fan at some time in your life. Maybe that was in your childhood or your early teenage years, but most likely in that era. And it's different for people under 35 because pro wrestling is different. It looks different. It feels yeah. different. It has a different cultural impact. But for those of us who were, who were children of the 80s and 90s who got into MMA, the direct path was uh, maybe movies like Kickboxer and Bloodsport hmm. and pro wrestling. Hmm. And I was certainly that. You know, I grew up in Kansas City, which in the territory days, I got to see the end of the territory days, Central States Wrestling. Every Thursday night, which is insane, from the 1960s through uh, the early 1990s until they finally went away because of WWF, mm. they ran pro wrestling, Central States Wrestling, every Thursday night, unbroken for over 30 years, maybe 35 years, Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas. And a big part of my childhood, especially I would tell you like eight, ages five through 14, were going with my dad or occasionally with my mom or friends to go see those pro wrestling bouts. Now, I also watched boxing. I watched kickboxing. I watched anything I could find. Hmm. I was old enough to watch UFC 1 live, and I remember that. I'm still nerdy enough to have the VHS tape and a functioning VCR. <laughs> but <laughs> pro wrestling in a lot of ways was my path into this. wasn't yeah. the only path. Because my dad turned me on the boxing when I was five years old. And um, I, I loved Jean-Claude Van Damme. I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger. I loved Kickboxer. Yeah. Um, great movies like that. But there's definitely that, that pro wrestling DNA that was in and informing what I do for a living now. Well, I mean, this is a perfect segue because obviously with the news from Monday, you know, the UFC-WWE mer merger. Um, yeah. Do you think... I mean, it's fresh. It's it's only like three days old, three, four days old. Um, do you think with that happening in the future, more opportunities of mixed type shows of, of the type that you just mentioned with uh, with uh, Byron Phillips and Roy Jones Jr. are kind of like on the horizon in the next couple of years? Yeah, that's man. That's a great question. It's certainly one to contemplate. I think in the immediacy, you're going to see more cross promotion. Mm -hmm. But um, if I'm not super knowledgeable on the current WWE roster right now, but I can tell you off the top of my head, there's obviously Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, who I commentated in his run in Bellator and was in Strike Force before. I don't really know who else would, would be there. I think I, I know Kurt Angle is no longer there. And even though Kurt Angle was an Olympic gold medalist, 
Um, he, he never had a, an MMA match, although he certainly could have, and I think he would have been great. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see maybe more, and I'm just purely speculating, but I think you're going to see more cross promotions. Like we're already seeing Daniel Cormier through his work with ESPN with uh, showing up at WrestleMania. So to think that, that my buddy Mike Chandler might, might show up at SummerSlam, but just to be there, not to participate or, uh, or, or that Brock Lesnar, maybe that's a poor example because he was in the UFC, but say Sheamus, for instance. <laughs> See, I'm struggling a little bit. I don't have the yeah. knowledge that I do 80s and 90s pro wrestling. But Sheamus, for instance, maybe he, he shows up and he's sitting uh, front row cage side at the UFC. I don't think that they would do mixed, mixed cards. From what I've read and from what I've heard in the industry, uh, Vince McMahon and uh, um, his family uh, and Nick Khan are really going to continue to, to solely run in a vacuum WWE <laughs> and Dana White and my buddy Hunter Campbell and that outstanding staff at the UFC, they're going to run that. So outside of cross promotes, I, I just don't see that. And, and I think both really want to protect the integrity of their respective brands. I don't think pro wrestling, uh, WWE, wants to cross over and look look too shooty. And I know the UFC doesn't want to look too worky in that in that vein. Yeah, I, uh, you know, we, me and Ed are casual wrestling fans. We've both been to AEW shows. This past weekend, I actually got to fill a bucket list going back to 1986 when I hmm. saw WrestleMania 2. And I made it out to WrestleMania at SoFi Stadium. Um, oh, that's so, awesome! Oh, that's really yeah, cool. That's yeah, no, really and, cool. and and not hardcore wrestling. I mean, obviously, my life is co combat sports, but there there's such a yeah. crossover. Like you, as you explained it, I think that's pretty much the story for a huge chunk of people our age that that grew up in pro wrestling. When I first saw my first UFC, the first thought that went through my head was, you know, when I, I saw Emmanuel Yarborough and Keith Hackney, that was the first fight I ever saw. <laughs> yeah. So my thought instantly was like, well, this is basically Yokozuna or, you know, versus, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, like, so I'm getting to see that for real now. And that's, that's kind of what carried my interest. Like, cause I always, you know, when you're a kid, you're going, well, would Ultimate Warrior really beat Hulk Hogan if they fought? And I mean, that's, right, that's, that's, that's right. what's in my head. And now it's like, okay, now I get to really see it kind of for real. And back then it was more of a circus atmosphere and there was a heavy pro whether MMA fans now don't really want to and admit that pro wrestling had such a huge influence on MMA. I mean, without it, I don't think MMA oh, yeah. exists. Um, maybe a Valley Tudo form from Brazil would have came over, but I don't think it really would have crossed over into the American public. Um, like when you had Ken Shamrock and you had Dan Severn and you had some of those guys who had the pro wrestling background um, and then were able to transition uh, hard into the, into the world of wrestling. So, um, no, no, you know, I just want to pick up on that because that's a great point. And, uh, you, you know, I, I really think that the UFC, uh, Art Davey, and by the way, Art Davey, who I think a lot of people know, I call him my later in life dad. I've only own, known Art Davey since 2011. My own father died in 2011. I wasn't raised by my dad, I was raised by my mom. He was in my life, but I'm very much the product of my mom. Um, but my dad died in 2011. I first met Art Davey not long before my dad passed away in 2011. Art Davey is most definitely my later in life dad. He's the creator of the UFC. He's enshrined in the UFC Hall of Fame as such. Today's his birthday. I, I bring up Art because to me, MMA in the United States or in North America, more broadly, US and Canada, 
what really the genes are from art partnering with Horion Gracie and what art witnessed at the Gracie Academy in Torrance, California, in the back rooms on Saturdays and Sundays, the Valley Tudo style, uh, no holds barred, anything goes Gracie challenges. If you look at the genesis of pro uh, of MMA in Japan, and even the shows that they did, which I don't consider MMA, I consider UFC one what art started November 12, 1993, literally day one event one of, of the UFC. I know some people have a counter argument. There were definitely shoot shows that happened in Japan prior to that, but there was a really blurred line between shoots and works in Japan. And, and if you talk about Akira Maeda, uh, Yuji Kondo, if you talk mm -hmm. about uh, Don Fry, then going over, there's a great on YouTube, Don Fry versus big fan Vader. And it's a work, but there are so many shoot elements in that. Or if you see Ken Shamrock versus, versus Bart Vale, uh, some of the early Frank Shamrock stuff. So the line was really blurred because you literally had fighters who could shoot. And sometimes they were doing works and sometimes they were doing shoots, which was a lot like what pro wrestling was in the 1910s and 1920s in the United States and Canada. So as much pro wrestling as there is in the evolutionary DNA of MMA in North America, <clears throat> man, it is right there. I mean, you have to think about we're talking in pride and uh, Alberto Del Rio, Stos Caras Jr. is wearing a mask against Mirko Krokop. It's unthinkable that someone is going to go in wearing a lucha mask in MMA in 2023, but it didn't seem at all out of place in the pride ring. Mm -hmm. And that's how ingrained it was into the culture that fighters could flip back and forth. You, I said Yuki Kondo earlier, I meant Yuki Nakai, but fighters like that, and then I said Akira Maeda, um, blurring that line, what would they do? You look at the early um, evolution of rings where Fedor Emelianenko made his pro MMA debut, which was kind of, not quite, but kind of a forerunner to pride. Rings came directly out of UWF, which was a Japanese pro wrestling promotion. So I find it fascinating how interwoven it is, especially mm -hmm. in Japan. I trained with Mark Hall in the late 90s, and he, he was working for a company right. over in Japan um, called Kingdom. And it was Kingdom yeah. MMA, but it was pro wrestling. And, uh, you know, I, I was a kid. He asked me if I wanted to go do it. I, I mean, I, I wasn't a major fighter. It wasn't something – it wasn't my path for life. But I was training bare knuckle back then a little bit. And and uh, But he went out there, and it wasn't until I got the VHS tapes that he would bring me back where I saw that he had matches against Sakuraba and Yoji Anjo um, and a bunch of those guys. And they were they were the same kind of thing. It would look like a real fight for about seven, eight minutes, and then it was a predetermined outcome and somebody would get hit with a flying arm bar or, or a rear naked choke or something. But, um, yeah, he, he did that. And yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. I was saying, but, but, you know, and that's what – and when you watch those fights now and – and, you know, especially the three of us and people people listening to this show who, who are real fight fans, um, when you watch it now, it's almost like they're doing a full-on shoot, but then they know at the end, okay, you're going to finish with a flying arm bar at about eight minutes. Mm -hmm. that That's how it was explained to me. That's how it was explained. Right. It was it was like if you go over there and you want to do this, you get to really kind of really fight for like five minutes. And if you if one of you doesn't finish the other one, then basically as the American, you've got to give up your naked choke at like the six minute mark. Right. And, and that's kind of yeah. how it was explained to me. So like, if I go out there and you knock the guy out, you can win and you can take over Japan and become kind of famous. But if you're not able to finish that opponent and if you piss him off, 
God only knows what's going to happen in 1997 and in, in, in Tokyo. But, uh, you know, I feel like we should transition real quick to the bare knuckle here because that's obviously right now the the big the big talk. Um, we yeah, a couple events got canceled this this past few weeks. Um, the one got rescheduled. Was there any quick real, real quick? Was there any word on the uh, the one that with the Thailand show, uh, the Sanchai Bukwa? That looked like that got canceled. Is that something still in the works, perhaps, or was that never actually a a, a thing? Yeah, it was. I, you know, it was miscommunicated. That that show was not canceled. I, I think the miscommunication was a loose placeholder date was put as like spring twenty twenty three, but I, I I saw Tapology weirdly had that for Baltimore. We began to see bare knuckle fighting is not even allowed in in uh, Maryland, so I'm not sure where that came from. That show was definitely not canceled. You can imagine that those are two very expensive fighters, but with that, they're going to sell a lot of tickets. My understanding, and the BKFC partner there is an English guy. He was an awesome guy. I knew him uh, when I was commentating the late great world Letway Championship. He was a referee. His name is Nick Chapman. So Nick has the BKFC Thailand franchise, works directly under David Feldman. Um, Nick has to find the right venue for that. As you can imagine, mm -hmm. Sanchai versus Bukau is insane. As insane as that is over here, that's even bigger there. You know, as someone said to me, uh, Atai said to me, that is our version of Roy Jones versus Mike Tyson. The difference is they're in their mm. 30s, where in Mike and Roy fought they were in their 50s. I think that's a venue issue. Uh, the one postponed show that we had in Florida, that was a venue issue. Um, so all the fighters, and this wasn't publicized, but I think this should be publicized. Every fighter on that card was paid 30% of their purse and then given the slot as we come back on April 21st at Seminole Hard Rock in South Florida and given 100% of their purse. BKFC doesn't pay like MMA. They're not on win and show. They're paying like boxing on a flat. And I can tell you that that flat rate is very, very good. Even the prelim guys, the flat is a very, very good rate um, for, for the, uh, the debuters, not just the BKFC debuters, the pro combat sports debuters. That rate is great. So I wish this would have been publicized. Maybe I'm the first to say this, but David Feldman is a king amongst kings, man. He is the best, that guy. Mm. And without being prodded or asked because he has a sense of right and wrong and a fiercely strong moral compass, he was like, sorry for the inconvenience. Here's 30% of your check now. We'll see you guys in a month. Everybody gets their same slot, their same opponent, and you get 100%. It was mm. just a venue issue. That's all. We, we found out. Two days before we reschedule, it's March 21st at, at Seminole Hard Rock, where we've had a lot of great shows. We always seem to sell out. So for me, it's just one of those swerves that happens and you move on. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, talking about um, just to, to backtrack a little bit, you're talking about fighters that draw like like the the Senchai and, and the, the Muay Thai bare knuckle thing. I mean, the last time Bukau, we had you yeah. on Bukau, um, the last time we had you on the podcast, I don't think Mike Perry had done uh, bare knuckle officially bkfc yet and then since then uh, i feel like we all all three of us said the same thing the last time you were on that mike perry was probably if there's anything he was put on this earth to do it's fight and bare knuckle you know under that rule set and it just seems like i feel like he's really come into whatever he was meant for in combat sports he's really come into it at bkfc and it's um, him him facing Luke Rockhold, even at the press conference. I, I don't remember folks paying so much attention seriously to what he had to say 
um, as, as, a, as especially yesterday. I mean, I, I, he, he picked up some applause. Um, I mean, like usually folks are looking right. to make memes out of the stuff he said when he was in MMA, but in BKFC, he's, it's almost like he's getting the, if there's, if there's like star power, you know, level, like the way that, you know, McGregor was on the rise and other fighters and other combat sports. I feel like Mike Perry's that guy for BKFC right now. Do you agree or, or am I wrong? Oh, man, I, I, to- I totally agree. Um, uh, Mike is great. He, he is, he's really great. He came to, uh, he came to knuckle mania and we were on the same flight. I always booked the first flight out the next morning. Cause I like to get home to my kids. So I'm on like the five fifty five AM to Albuquerque to Dallas, to Kansas city. And, and Mike is on the same flight cause he wants to get home to his kid. And we sat and, uh, and had a fantastic conversation for like 30 minutes waiting to board that American airlines flight. Yeah. Mike is great. He is so right for BKFC. Talking to Chris Lytle, you guys know he's my broadcast partner. Obviously, I'm saying for the audience, my broadcast partner. A lot of you know I'm BKFC, one of the greatest UFC welterweights ever. Um, Chris and I were saying, who was the last fighter who exited the UFC and continued the fight and became more famous? Because I firmly believe Mike Perry has done that. Don't get me wrong. The guy was a legit A-lister star in the UFC. But I think since coming to BKFC with that one thriller fight as well, when he beat Michael Seals, so he's three and zero outside of the UFC against really good opponents. Michael Seals, who was a twenty eight three pro boxer, Mike Perry beats him. That was the thriller triad rules, very similar yeah. to BKFC. They had the four ounce MMA gloves, and then he beats Julian Lane, who is fiercely underrated because Julian is is outstanding. He's a really good MMA fighter. He's a excellent bare knuckle fighter then he beats michael venom page and now he has luke mm-hmm. rockhold his fame is ascending i guess as we're talking about japanese mma someone who went from the ufc after art davy sold to bob myrowitz and myrowitz started to have the company falter and uh dobahiku saki kibara was exploding with pride maybe someone like uh, Mark Coleman or probably Mark Coleman would be my answer when he beat Igor Vovchenshin in the 2000 Pride Grand Prix. Someone who, who became more famous in fighting, not for social media or any extracurricular activities, but yeah. someone who became more famous while still in fighting, leaving the UFC. Maybe, yeah. maybe I've answered my own question. Maybe it's Coleman. I don't know if you guys can think of anybody, but uh, it I would mean, be that era. That yeah, pre-Zufa, post-Cardavi era. If you, if you, if you, you know, Sakuraba, he had two fights in the UFC the same night and then obviously went on to become Sakuraba, um, but he wasn't really a, a name in the UFC. One guy right now, and I don't know if he's become more famous because he did win the Ultimate Fighter, but in my mind, and I hate to say it because he's destroyed my hero twice, Ryan Bader. I mean, you know, no, he that's, a, that's two, fair. That's fair. a two division two division champion in, in a high high level yeah. MMA organization and he doesn't get the, the media maybe that he got after the ultimate fighter in those first few fights but from where he was when he kind of left the UFC as far as yeah. um the respect he had among fight fans to where I think most people respect the hell out of Ryan Bader now. Yeah I, mean, he, I think Sergio know, Pettis falls in that category too. Perhaps you know? Sergio yeah. Pettis. it's rare though right yeah I think you guys are throwing good names but yeah. you know we're we're throwing up three or four names it's definitely rare. No. Yeah. And, and Perry and Mike, definitely Mike found his groove. Yeah, I know. And, and no he seems doubt. to have grown yeah. up. He seems to have grown up because and, and I, maybe you when you were on last time, you were praising how he is when you talk to him oh, kind yeah. of behind the scenes away from the camera. But when you see him getting interviewed now, it seems more professional. He seems like he's taking it more 
like he's accepting the 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 fame kind of that's coming on and not I mean, I, I'm sure it's going to his head a little bit, but he's not he's not coming off like a, a jerk. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen you know? it. No, no, I, I, I've never seen him act like a jerk. I, I I genuinely, I my personality is I, for whatever reason, I usually like most people, but I really like Mike Perry. Now, with that being said, you guys know I, I like a lot of people and I have some real meaningful friendships with a lot of people in fighting. Never affects my commentary at all. Mm. You know, never affects my commentary. But away from that, I can always separate myself. Now, I, Mike Perry is a super cool guy. He is a, yeah. a super cool guy. I really like him. <laughs> I am looking forward to meeting Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold, for me, is like in that Jacare category. Someone mm -hmm. who I've really admired, just been a massive fan of, and I've never had the chance to commentate. Um, that that's going to be great. There, there aren't there aren't that many fighters. I've been so fortunate in in my career and how many organizations I've worked for. But you guys know I've never commentated for the UFC. So I uh, most people who are stars in the UFC, I either got them before I get them afterwards. Like Eddie Alvarez, who you know in Bellator, we were in Bellator at the beginning together. So excited to see Eddie again. Chad Mendez, I've had him BKFC before. Rockwell and BKFC before. Luke Rockhold, that's going. That's legitimately going to be a thrill because I, I hold him in that esteem, like with Jacques mm. Array that I do. Vitor Belfort, I love. I commentated Vitor versus Evander Holyfield. I had a similar experience on that. That's such an intriguing fight as we talk about uh, Perry and Rockhold. It's one of those fights where it, it's difficult to see how that goes. I mean, Luke is obviously the bigger guy. Um, Perry's also had two bare knuckle fights and he had the one fight in triad, which is BKFC esque, but well, sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. He's definitely kill or be killed. Cause that the thing, the one, I'm not going to quote what he said at, at yesterday's press conference, but when he said it, it almost seemed like, like, again, there was a bit of si silence afterwards when he talked about not only he's like, I like to get effed up. Or uh, you know, right. I get F I get effed up during the weekdays, and and he's like, and I'm gonna f you. I'm not worried about getting effed up, but I'm I'm gonna f you. It's almost like I don't really care what happens, but you know, it's almost like I'm prepared to to lose, you know, but die die trying toward type of mentality. And I feel like, I mean, especially for bare knuckle you know, at that level, that's that's what you want to see. And you know, it, like you said, he's got the experience over Rockhold too. And I, I feel like he might be younger. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, Mike's only just, thirty. Mike is only yeah. thirty. So I mean, there's there's a lot of things in his favor. But I mean, you mentioned Eddie Alvarez. I mean, uh, how excited are you to be uh, calling out his name again on on a upcoming card? Yeah, there. You know, there's something special. It's it's kind of like this, almost like like a group of guys you went to high school with. <laughs> like there's this class of 2010 from Bellator um, when we started. And it was Eddie Alvarez, Hector Lombard, Joe Warren, Mike Chandler, Ben Askren, people that I may, I've maintained friendships with to, to this day. And I was so happy for Eddie going to the UFC and winning the 155 title. Just an awesome guy. First thing that I saw with Eddie, because I'm, I'm pretty big into my kids and I'm a big family man, was the love that Eddie had for his kids. It, it might be on YouTube or Daily Motion somewhere, but this is 2010. And he has one of his sons on his lap and um, it's between fights and I'm interviewing him for some reason. They just had me interview him and they didn't usually Jimmy Smith would do it for whatever reason I'm interviewing between fights and we're on that. We're on the headset Mike's cage side 
and his son is pulling faces into the camera. And mm-hmm. Eddie is a great dad. He is, is scolding his son. He's laughing and I'm laughing. I thought, man, this is a cool guy. This guy mm-hmm. has it together. And it's great for me, a guy who I first commentated in 2010 and I knew could be the best 155er in the world in MMA. And he ultimately became that in the UFC that I get to see him now 13 years later. When David Feldman first asked me, what do you think Eddie Alvarez? I'm like, get him any price, whatever, <laughs> get Eddie Alvarez because he is a great human being. He is a world-class fighter. I still believe that he is extremely relevant. I think he can be great. I don't think this is any type of one-and-done appearance. Um, the guy can still be outstanding. I, I don't think that this is a fighter who's past his prime. I don't think the Rockhold is past his prime. I don't think that Mendez is. I don't think the Rothwell is. So we said Mike Perry's only 30. I'm not even sure if Mike Perry has entered his prime yet. That's what's really cool to see in BKFC mm-hmm. is we're getting these huge stars, but we're not getting them out of retirement. We're getting them when they're still fully relevant. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be flying out there for that. I look, I, I'm super excited nice. the whole week out there with Invicta and then following the weekend with one FC uh, or one championship is, is going to be a hell of a week of combat sports. Um, want to let you get back to your family. So I don't want to keep you real long. Last you. time you nailed Glover Teixeira beating Jan Bukovic. <laughs> uh, so real quick, just without, you don't have to break it down, but how do you, uh, Izzy, uh, Bahia rematch this weekend. Um, who's your pick? Yeah, that, that to me, I was looking at that fight today. Although I'll tell you as an aside, um, I commentated uh, combat FC and we're going to do it again with Michelle Watterson. And I've, I've gotten to know Michelle and, and her husband, Joshua, really well. So all of my all of my thoughts this week are actually on Michelle Watterson. But mm. such an intriguing main event. I, I think it comes down to the, the forward pressure of Israel Adesanya. I, I think it's limiting the time and space and, and the forward pressure is I, I hate to make it so simplistic because it's a really complex fight from two of the best mm-hmm. fighters on the planet. But to me, that's a, a fight about time and space and how forward uh, uh, Adesanya can be and how consistently he can push forward with pressure. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, he almost uh, did finish him in the first round that last time. I mean, Pajeda almost got saved by the bell. So I, I, and that, that right. was kind of the scenario. What you just said was kind of the scenario where that happened. So I agree with you. Yeah, I think I think. Izzy gets it done this time and avenges the first three losses and, and perhaps sets up a trilogy down the line here. All right, Sean. Well, uh, real quick, I'm going to sign us off. Fans can check out the show at Combat Hour on Twitter, Coast to Coast Combat Hour on Instagram. Follow me, Matthew Hawkins, at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. Check out Ed at Carbizal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram, and Old Head Carb on Twitch. And again, weekly, we're brought to you by AllAccessMMA.com. Sean, Get back to your family. Enjoy your two weeks off and uh, get back to the grind, brother. We love listening to you and watching you do your work. Uh, you're the best at it, and we're a, we're a big fan. Man, I, I, so, I so appreciate it. No, you guys are so supportive. Um, will I see both of you in Denver? Ed, are you coming as well? No, just just Matt, unfortunately. I have to I have to stick around on Jersey in May because of my day job. We, so. <laughs> we, we might, we might have a, uh, a post fight Jack Daniels in your honor then, but get out oh. to a fight soon. And Matt, I will definitely see you there. So guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank Outstanding. you. Thanks for your time. Thank you.